Hello and welcome to Roman Lives, uh, and we are back for our series on Augustus. Mm-hmm. This episode is going to be all about Julius Caesar. Now, we can, we can, and maybe one day will. You can do many, many episodes and podcasts about Julius Caesar. In fact, there are. There are. There's a wonderful podcast, The Life of Caesar, which devoted 50 plus episodes to the life of Julius Caesar. We are going to condense his life story into an episode. Right. We're going to considerably condense it because, I mean, there are there are books the size of textbooks just on Caesar's life and his impact. Yes. So we're going to gloss over some big parts some that are going to have have evan chewing his have to bite the bullet on right and and there's going to be some parts that i'm going to also have to bite the bullet on but it it is what it is like we're but we we can't tell the story of octavian without going through the life of caesar because the life of caesar is the stepping grounds for The life it is of Octavian. To, right. And how Octavian came to be known as Augustus. Mm-hmm. And how eventually, and this is the bold statement that I will go for, and I think, Evan, if I may dare hope that you will agree with me, how, 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 even though the people don't, a majority of human beings don't agree with me, how Augustus came to sur- eclipse Julius Caesar. Yes. Well, and I'd like to I'd like to bring up a point about that kind of right away. Caesar has this reputation as a great general, a brilliant statesman, and the guy who transformed the the republic into the empire. Two of those are true. <laughs> Technically, he never transformed the republic into the empire. He was never proclaimed emperor. He was proclaimed dictator for life, essentially king in all but name, but he was never actually declared the emperor. Mm-hmm. No, and I will agree with that. Um, Honestly, I think a good way to describe it, this is also a bold and kind of unfounded comparison, but there's mm-hmm. a quote from the Oliver Stone Alexander movie once yes. that that Philip says, like, they say Philip was a great general, but they say Alexander was great. And I would say just substitute Caesar and Augustus and you get my my yeah. opinion. Yes. Yes. But let's get into Julius Caesar. Right. So Julius Caesar, according to legend, was a descendant of Aeneas, the mythical yeah. founder of the Roman tribe. Despite such prestige, his branch of the Julian family had squandered fortune and prestige through a mostly reckless lifestyle. Yeah. Kind of like, it's kinda, picture somebody who won the lottery and then lost it in five years. Um, I think I got a better metaphor in just a little bit. Ooh. Oh, okay. Go, go, go for it. Caesar spent his early life earning a notorious reputation of blunders and stubbornness. Oh, yes. 
He seems to have recognized such as he purportedly gazed upon a statue of Alexander the Great and wept in shame that his life could not compare to Alexander. The comparison I would make is, now bear with me on this. Okay. George W. Bush. Yeah. George W. Bush, until he was about 40, as he himself describes, and he has gone on record describing it and at length, and Oliver Stone made a movie about it, mm. he considered himself a little bit of a – he was regarded as a bit of a screw-up in the family and the, the black sheep and the embarrassment of the family Fair enough. for quite some time. And then at 40, he sobered up and became – uh, a, ma- a big campaign voice for his father's successful presidential bid. Right. And soon would become the owner of the Texas Rangers and then become governor of Texas and then president of the United States. Yeah. An astonishing turnaround and a real, whatever you think of his, of his politics, I'm just talking about the life story. That's, that's still impressive to be able to do that is impressive. Yes. Now, I'm not saying at all that that's just an analogy and a metaphor. Right. That's just that's just a comparison. It's just a comparison. There's lots of other figures like this in history. Henry V is also the legendary one that people go to mm-hmm. in terms of, like, turning your life around. Right. The main part we're getting at is that Caesar, Caesar was the party boy, the, the guy who he, – he, he was that rich son of a – he was that rich kid. Well, well, what I said before, like the, the Kennedys, not the prestigious John F. Kennedy generation, the next generation. Right. That, that kind of like he was like that of just like he was mm. kind of a of like prestigious name, but he had kind of squandered that name through right. blunders, through mis misadventures and reckless spending in his youth. Right. Yep. Oh, and that's going to come up a major point. Uh, Caesar and money. Not a good yes. combo. Yeah, no, not, not a great combo. So, so, but then Caesar's life turned or began to turn around as he aged and matured. Mm-hmm. And he eventually had a very successful military campaign. Yes. He and this isn't Gaul, by the way. No, this is not that. Gaul. But he had a successful military campaign, and he had done enough to warrant a triumph. And so he returned to Rome asking for his triumph and to stand for consul. In the mix came our good en- our good person we love to hate, Cato the mm. Younger. Mm. Cato, <laughs> I love your response. Seriously, that 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 man, that man is the definition. That man is the definition of. Will you please just get out of the way, and get off your effing high horse for ten seconds? <laughs> he, he, is, he, rep, he represents the worst of conservative politics, and and that's it. <laughs> That's saying something. 
Oh, you are cracking me up, buddy. Yeah. Uh, continue oh, on. The less I, the, the, the more I can bash. Yes. Uh, I'll bash. I'll bash him later. We're, we got plenty me. more material to go through, buddy. I know. Because <laughs> he's not gonna go away at all. Okay. I know. So, okay. Being a little serious, we're already becoming life of Caesar. Not to bash them, but just like tangents and laughing, but that's fine. Cato, mm-hmm. fearful of Caesar's talent to rouse the masses, and for all Caesar's blue blood, he had an utter charisma. Yes. And he had this naturalistic touch that made him mm-hmm. really appeal to the masses. Yeah. So, in a way, just like the Gracchi before him, he was a nightmare for the Optimates because of that. Mm-hmm. Is that that's what they feared the most is like a senator that can really appeal to the mob. Yes. But what does that mean? And especially after they had lived through Marius and Sulla and known what populist demagogues can do. Right. And that I think it doesn't justify Cato, but it explains mm. Cato. Let's 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 be very let's be very clear here for a moment. These guys weren't um, noble heroics. They they weren't afraid because they were afraid that they would lose their wealth and their position, which in the long run they eventually did. And let's be honest, they probably needed a little smack in the head. I'll disagree a little bit in like this wonderful tangent we're on right now mm-hmm. i think cicero was more of like the genuinely like he didn't want the republic to go away i think cicero no. was that wonderful like moderate where and what I, what we said on our last episode of principled idealist i think cicero actually was more on the line of like well yeah the republic is flawed but no the republic is like we can't overthrow the republic and no i don't believe in like this demagoguery at all no right. so there were those people who actually were like, and I think Brutus also was that, quite frankly, of just like well, you and I have you and I have very different opinions on Brutus, but but that's that's a whole another conversation. Yeah. But anyways, so Cato was obstinate and and had sway over the Senate and said that Caesar would have to either relinquish his army if he were to stand for consul or he could have his trial triumph but not be eligible for consul caesar turned down the greatest thing a man can can aspire for in in the roman times at this time a roman triumph the greatest glory and chose instead the consulship Wrap, wrap your head around that for a moment. He basically turned down the greatest celebration so he could become president. Yeah, basically. More or less. Now, the election for for consulship that year was extremely ugly. The yeah. noble, in quotes, Cato resorted to bribery to try to prevent Caesar from being elected consul. Something something he once something he never fails to accuse others of, but is curiously never 
never accused himself. Well, plenty of people accused after the fact, but yes. Caesar had his own dirty tricks as he formed the surprising alliance between two sworn enemies. Mm -hmm. The man that was universally considered the greatest living Roman at the time was Gnaeus Pompey the Great. Pompey had conquered Spain, defeated the scourge of the Sicilian pirates, and single-handedly paid off the debts of Rome. Yeah. Now, let me repeat that again. This one person paid mm-hmm. off all Roman debt. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's like... Incredible. That's like... Uh, Bill Gates couldn't do that if he wanted to. Right. That's how powerful and wealthy Pompey was. Despite all that Pompey had done, he was being harassed frequently by the Senate and had the fiercest enemy in Marcus Licinius Crassus. Crassus was one of the richest men of all time. He had gained his riches through notorious means. With this vast sum of money, he had personally paid for his own army, which he would use to defeat Spartacus. Yep. Crassus, however, had no military glory of his own, as credit for the defeat of Spartacus went to his old enemy, Pompey, whom Crassus... I'd like to make a a quick tangent on that for, for Pompey. What Pompey did to Crassus, Pompey did that to a lot of people. They, his, nickname, his nickname amongst the Senate was the Vulture. <laughs> Essentially, everyone would, everyone else would do the hard work. He'd, he'd swoop in at the last minute and get the glory. Thank you for taking it. That I was gonna say that myself. Thank Perfect. you, Evan. Perfect. Sorry about that. No, no, no. Yep. That's why we were co-hosts. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Caesar was able to broker an alliance between these two enemies. Mm-hmm. These two men hated each other. Yeah. But they both liked Caesar. Right. Well, and, Crass, and Crassus supposedly was actually a good friend of Caesar. Crassus was Caesar's mentor in some ways. Yes. Yes, he was. Caesar promised them the consulship and legal immunity if they gave him the money and support for his own consulship. And uh-huh. then the chance... And then, after the consulship, the chance to conquer Gaul. Remember that. That's important. This secret alliance was later dubbed the First Triumvirate. This broke all Roman traditions, as it was three men who planned to control the entire Roman Republic in secret. Caesar won the consulship and attempted valiantly to pass various political reforms to benefit the conditions of the common people. Mm-hmm. He's, he's at it again. Yep. He was met most severely by, by Cato the Younger, who filibustered many of these attempts. Caesar eventually got some of his reforms passed through technically illegal means... Listen to yes. my husband's podcast just on the consulship of Julius Caesar for more on that. Yeah. He did things that were like, you sh- can't do that, can't or shouldn't. Well, 
shouldn't. Up, oh, up. Oh. It's like that's it's against the law. Well, it's not super against the law. It was that kind I'm of situation. Bend, like, I'm bending. I'm bending the law. I'm not breaking it. And besides, you guys do the well. And then he would do the old-fashioned. Well, you guys did it for Pompey or for other guys. Yeah. So, having accomplished everything he could reasonably hope for, Caesar left Rome to conquer Gaul. And okay, bite the bullet, Evan. Caesar's conquest of Gaul was long and bloody, but successful. Yes. He even briefly attempted to conquer Britain, but abandoned the attempts. In Rome, the city quickly fell to disarray. Crassus and Pompey began to quarrel again. There was also an upstart populist reformer named Claudius Pulcher, whose yep. rabble-rousing and gangster behavior earned the enmity of even the most radical of reformers. Yeah. Claudius was later killed by his rival. <laughs> Life in Rome in peacetime was far from civil. Yeah. Caesar rallied the triumvirate together, where it was agreed that Pompey would take the consulship, while Crassus would seek his own military glory in Parthia. Mm. Also during this time, I should note, to solidify the alliance, Caesar agreed to let Pompey marry his daughter, Julia. Who was roughly a third of his age. But surprisingly, the marriage was actually genuinely happy oh, yeah well the the marriage yeah that's the that's the surprising part yeah i mean it's it's well documented mm-hmm. and now back to uh back to poor old crassus yes okay <laughs> oh, God. so crassus's hubris would be his undoing as the man quickly showed his gifts were accumulating money not military glory Nope. In Parthia, go ahead. I I like telling this story. Long story, very, very long story short. uh, Crassus fought an army that was about one fourth his size and got killed, losing losing as much as three quarters of his army in the process. Mm -hmm. There are two, there's two legends about him. The first is that he was killed in an ambush. Uh, sorry, he was killed when he was trying to trying to actually negotiate peace, and his son screwed it up. Crassus was killed. His head was decapitated and taken back to the Parthian king as a prop in a play. The other, slightly more fantastic and equally as gruesome, was that he was legitimately just captured, brought back to the Parthian king, and they poured molten gold down his throat to symbolize his lust for gold. Decide between yourselves as to which one it was. Neither of which are the point. They ne- Rome never got his body back. Nope. Gee, I wonder what George R. R. Martin based Viserys the, fir- the third's death on. <laughs> right. It's like it's like anyone who watches that, it's like, yeah, that really happened. <laughs> it happened more than you want the gruesome part. It happened more than once in history. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Ugh, history. So continue on. I don't know. But yeah, with Crassus gone, the battle of supremacy would be between Caesar and Pompey. Yep. 
Pompey remained loyal to Caesar for a while, as Pompey had married Caesar's daughter, Julia. But unfortunately, Julia would die in childbirth, which genuinely devastated Pompey. Mm-hmm. With Julia gone, there was no reason for any friendship between Caesar and Pompey. Mm-hmm. Caesar's exploits in Gaul had made him enormously popular, rich, and he had armed men that were loyal to Caesar over Rome. The Senate had known that Caesar was not a believer in tradition, and rightly feared that Caesar what Caesar would do. Legally, though, Caesar's, Caesar would lose his claim to his army within the end of the year. Right. So there was some hope for the Senate. But on the After, other hand, the moment that he lost his claim to his army, he could stand for consul. Well... Technically, that was true. Buddy. They weren't going to let him. Yes. But he also was. And Caesar knew that, like, they're, they're not going to let me be consul. Mm-hmm. They're going to... They want my... At this point, like, he had made so many enemies in what he had done. Right. Because, technically speaking, and there's lots of reasons, but... But part of it is that he, one, he bribed sycophants in the Senate to be on his yeah. side, which that's a big no-no. The other thing mm-hmm. is technically his his war and conquest with Gaul was never authorized by the Senate. Yes. Which is also a big no-no. On the other on the other hand, though, he he was able to charm the masses with his books. More importantly, in my opinion, this Roman Senate being the Roman Senate, they were just petty and jealous. And they didn't like anybody. They didn't like anyone being more powerful than they are. I think both sides are true. But both sides are very, I mean, we'll put it this way. In my opinion, if Pompey had gone to conquer Gaul, they would have been fine with it. Because Pompey, Pompey was many things. A threat to them was not one of them. They thought he was, but then they slowly realized he wasn't. Yeah. Well, Pompey is a Pompey. In my, it's a slight tangent, by the way. Pompey, in my opinion, he's one of those very bizarre characters, in my opinion, because on paper he should be this really proud, strong, competent man. But when you peel away all the layers, loser is not the right word. He's kind of pathetic. I disagree completely with that, dude. I think he is a, a strong, great man. I just think that the difference, though, is that he was, is that Pompey ultimately is, is this, the great parallel of heirs of that, of that, Marius's heir is 100% Caesar. Yes, absolutely. And Sulla's heir is 100% Pompey. In that, as much as, like, Sulla and Pompey had populist demagoguery in them, at the end of the day, they were mostly a conservative. Fair enough. In that they really didn't want to, like, radically change Rome. They were just more like, no, I got my glory. I got a good rep. I'm good. Right. And so, like, they didn't have that ambition, that... Thing that Marius and, Sel- and Caesar have, where it's like, 
of Mario. It's like, I will be console seven times no right. matter what. And right. I will never not be relevant so long as I live. And right. Caesar perhaps... having that same like great hubris and and like I will I mean, make kinda, should, I will I, shape I think the world. best way to describe it is Pumpy knew his place. Ultimately. Oh <laughs> I guess in a way that's a way to put it Pumpy knew Pumpy knew his place now in this world. So Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I, my opinion of Pompey is extremely low, so just point that just to point point that out. I have a higher opinion, clearly, but yeah. You do. I respect him. Um, so. Continue. Caesar, knowing that he had enemies and was facing facing a big battle, legal battle where he might face some ugliness. At best. At best, he's going. At best, he's going to prison. At worst, he's dead. Yes, pretty much. No. So he attempted to broker a deal with the Senate through his trusted lieutenant Mark Antony. Mm-hmm. The negotiations went poorly. Yeah, you know how I remember I said uh, Caesar and money bad combo. Antony and subtlety. So. Um. Cicero would later blame the entire civil war on Antony's obstinate behavior in these negotiations. Not entirely, not entirely incorrect, but Cato's in there too. Antony blamed the conservative senators for denying Caesar's reasonable terms, despite Pompey being open to them. Mm-hmm. If you go by HBO's Rome, both are right, because yes. In, in the show, they go for, yes, Antony is being an obstinate ass, while at the same time presenting reasonable terms. Right. So there's, a, there's, a, there's a phrase for that, and I can't really remember what it is. It's essentially – there is a term for that, and I wish I knew it was. It's essentially – it's a jerk, but, but he's making good points enough to where it's like, well, okay, he's an asshole, but he is right. And, <laughs> and this is – it's like this is a good deal. I don't like yeah. the guy, but it's like I don't like the guy, but he's doing yeah. pretty well. And HBO's Rome like posits like they, that Caesar knows what Antony is and sends him there to be to aggravate them into doing something. Right, and we'd like to point out that in real history, that probably wasn't true. It's a wonderful thing of 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 the fictional interpretation of character in history, but yes. Exactly. But well, I think other, I think honestly I, I'm with you. It's more like just Antony blundered. Right. Well, and the other thing too is, and this is actually a somewhat somewhat important tangent that is he's very overlooked in history. Caesar's right hand man throughout all the Gallic Wars for for over a decade was not Antony, but a man named Titus Labinus. Mm. Labinus, when Caesar had started to march on Rome, Labinus actually cast his lot with the senators. And surprisingly, though, Caesar didn't have him executed, didn't have him do any of that, um, because Labinus had the honor to actually not steal any of Caesar's legions at all, even though he could. Mm. So who did Caesar, who, who realistically, who Caesar probably would have wanted to negotiate with you as would have been Labinus. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, a great, there's a great YouTube channel called History of Civilius, 
he says on multiple occasions that uh, Mark Antony was no Labinus. <laughs> um, yeah. But 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 you're right. I mean, but let's be honest. I, in real life, yes, Antony probably blundered, probably was in the wrong headspace. Did Caesar deliberately do this? Probably not. Probably not. At the same time, it was a happy accident. Happy accident, and also Caesar probably didn't have his options. Probably weren't very high. No. So. So, the the negotiations went so badly. Antony had to flee from Rome in fear of his life. Aye. With this incident, Caesar rallied his troops to see that the Senate were hostile to Caesar and his legions. Caesar's troops quickly began to march directly on Rome. And I want to stress this. For all the people that adore Caesar and valorize him, you have a higher opinion of Caesar than I do, to, to, to kind of counter our, our opinions. Yes. Uh, Caesar... Well, uh, I still... Yeah, go ahead. Caesar engaged in civil war for purely personal reasons. Only Caesar was going to suffer the enmity of the Senate. Thousands of Romans would die for the sake of Caesar's coin and status. On the other hand, that conservative status had been exploiting the people for generations. So it's not like they were that. It, it, at best, let's be honest, at best, it's a gray versus gray. Yeah. That's why I said at, be, at worst, at worst, it's black versus gray. <laughs> I think it's black versus black, but that's me. Yeah. Well... Well, I, 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 no, no, I, I won't say that. I, I will say gray versus gray because I can see, I because I can see the Ciceros. I can right. see the noble. You, you, I can see well, the Brutus. Sorry, I can I see. I can see the noble people in there. Right. And There's honestly, okay, okay, we're, we're we're going to get into a little bit here, but like I'm also also a little bit with Mike Duncan. He once said in a podcast about this, is like that that they kind of the Senate exploited Pompey during this whole affair because oh, Pompey yeah. basically was retired and basically. The Senate kind of knew if they ever let Caesar and Pompey talk it out, just yes. like Pompey would have would come out and say like, "Hey guys, great news! Um, I got a province, and uh, Caesar, R Rome is now in in control of Caesar. Bye bye." Right. It's kind of like it, it, Pompey was definitely like, "It's like leave me alone, you annoying gnats." <laughs> and, and the problem is, and here's the thing with the Senate: the Senate wasn't wasn't governed by a group of generals. They're, they were governed by a bunch of pencil-pushing rich bureaucrats. None of them were gen. Almost none of them were generals. No. Let alone competent ones. This wasn't. This wasn't the age of Hannibal, where you had a multitude of capable, very powerful generals who were able to take the field. No. This. Continue. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, like, the, the Senate had to cling on to Pompey and, like, beg him to fight for them and kind of finagle him into it. Right. Finagle was putting it mildly. <laughs> Caesar's bold march directly on Rome forced Pompey and his allies to flee from Rome as they, he, as his quick march was 
was fast enough before Pompey could mobilize his troops. Even though Caesar had the city of Rome, the war was heavily in Pompey's favor. Yes. Pompey was more experienced, he had more troops and more money, and was a legitimate political figure fighting against a renegade warlord. Right. Pompey even defeated Caesar in a crucial battle, but he allowed Caesar to retreat. Caesar mockingly stated, the man does not know how to win a war. Mm. Caesar's camp in Greece was desperate, sick, and hungry, while the looming threat of Pompey's well-fed and rested army of greater numbers surrounded Caesar's army. And this is the part where you will get pretty upset. You get pretty upset by Evan, and I get pretty mm. upset with too, mm -hmm. is this. The more battle-hardened Pompey suspected that Caesar would somehow win if he faced him directly, and preferred... Yes and preferred letting Caesar starve and die out within a month. Uh, Keep that in mind. He was just like, no, guys, we've won. Just let him starve I, out. I mean, here's, like, the, here's the thing. I, I, I'm, I'm more of a Caesar supporter than a Pompey. But God, it's like, Pompey, you had it. You had it. Well, and Pompey, literally well, did not well, no, well, no, Pompey recognized it. He was like, yeah, guys, we won. Right. We don't need to do this mop-up fight. Like, no, I've right. won. Let him, it's Just... like, let him, let him starve. Let him starve. When he's desperate, at, it's like, when he's desperate, he's either going to have a mutiny, he's either going to have a mutiny, or they're going to starve to death. Either way, we win. No, either way, we've won. That's the thing that, like, that was the right way of putting it. I was like, no, guys, we won. Right. What are you talking about? Like, mop-up battle? I've won. Right. But the Senate... The Senate were like, hell no, he humiliated right. us. He has to pay. Well, and that's and that's you know, something I'd like to point out a little bit. And the HBO show does just doesn't quite do it justice, but it's kind of hard to do it justice. The Senate, especially Cato, I loved about I love that he got his comeuppance. Especially Cato had this had this notion of they had to defeat them the Roman way. And the Roman way was you stand with your men, you go out and you fight and you, you beat them with ease. Yeah, I get it. But it's just like, oh, it's... I, totally, I totally get it. But it's like it was completely unnecessary. <laughs> Pharsalus, Pharsalus should not, would not, and really had no need to be fought. That's the thing is like, it's not just like that. It's not like. Richard III versus Henry VII, Bo Bosworth, where it's like the odds were so much in Richard III's favor that it's astonishing Henry VII managed to win. It's right. like, no, 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 no. It's like, this is like literally, you don't need to fight. You've won. Right. You, you, Pharsalus, again, we cannot emphasize this enough. Pharsalus should not have been fought, period. Yes. <laughs> Just plain as simple as that. It's like, you didn't need to fight. You fought. Right. And then Caesar miraculously won yeah. in a, a decisive victory in Pharsalus. And with that, he won the Roman Republic. Now, to put it in context, the war went on for another three years. We're going to talk about that, but yes. But, but the, best, the best chance that the Optimates had to, to knock Caesar, at, to, to at, at best kill him, at worst knock him out of the war disappeared yep on that day well yeah if they don't have pompey it's 
it's what happens. Right. But exactly. And I do love the. We're gonna praise again the HBO show many times, I guess, in this series, and I love it. I love that show. It's one of my favorite they shows. Got, they but, got, but, but they. they got the but I, I truly adore the line and performance by Kenneth Cranham as Pompey. But just like mm-hmm. that line, he says like, "That's how Pompey Magnus was defeated. That's mm-hmm. how Luke died." Well, and then my favorite, my favorite scene, arguably one of my favorite scenes in the entire show, is right after the battle when. And it's such a great scene when Cicero, uh, Cicero, Cato and Brutus are reeling from the battle. They're coming, they're sweaty, <laughs> covered with blood, yeah. and they're all pissed off. It's like, we are not defeated. Where are the Senate and the people of Rome? Oh, where is that? Where should we go? Africa. We must rally the cities of Africa. Oh, Africa. We're fast running out of continents and coin. We taxed everybody and spent it all. What should we use to buy their loyalty now? Seashells. We need not buy anything. We are the Senate and the people of Rome. And then, to add insult to injury, not only does Brutus curse out Pompey, Cato has the gall to say, uh, perhaps it is better if we do not travel together, Pompey. Yeah. So it's like, so I mean, let's, let's wrap this up. Let's put this in the most simple context. You tell the guy to fight a battle he didn't need to fight. You chastise him for losing of which you were absolutely no help whatsoever. And then you say, oh, Abandon go handle him. it. You, go, right. It's like, go handle it yourself. It's like, talk about ungrateful. <laughs> Keep in mind, we're talking about the HBO show. That's not the history, but at the same time, that's not, the, that's that's not, that's not, not history, that much of an exaggeration. Right, I must that's, say. that's not, that's not as inaccurate as I think we'd want to believe, because that was kind of the general attitude was that, was that Pompey, Pompey in their eyes went from a steamed superstar to a bumbling dunce mm. in one day. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, when you, and this is why I like Pompey more, is like, just blame these, these people that have no idea what they're talking about for ordering him to do something. Right. For ordering him, for ordering him to do something he didn't need to do. Yeah. So it's like, uh, uh, okay. Again, it, it's painful. It really is painful. And again, I'm I like Pompey, but I don't love him. It's painful mm-hmm. to see yeah. this poor guy really get just shafted by a bunch of morons. Yeah. Well, I think that's what ultimately. Yeah. A little bit more. My sympathy lies. No, I, Caesar's a very interesting figure. I, I don't have favorites in this war, but just right. like, but, but we're both like kind of like disparaging just because like Pompey, it's like, oh, poor Pompey. Oh, oh, Pompey. And yeah. then, then tell, tell the, tell the end of his great tale. Okay. So first I want to, I want to say this before that most of the wickedness and tyrannical connotations of the word dictator come from Julius Caesar as well as Sulla. Yes. Surprisingly, Caesar was magnanimous to his enemies. Right. He, and he we observed... also, I'd like, to, I'd like to also point out one thing. The, the term dictator has a very negative connotation today, rightfully so, in many mm-hmm. cases. But in those days, it was actually, to quote, to quote Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight, it wasn't considered an honor. It was actually considered a public service. It was a legitimate. It was a legitimate position that was ratified by the Senate. It had yes. limits. It had limits, and they had to be enforced. 
So again, dictator has a much more negative connotation today. Back then, it wasn't really even negative. Well, we're going to get into Caesar is why it became negative, my friend. Because even though he, in the scale of dictatorships, he's actually pretty cuddly bear on them. He's pretty damn... Yes. So, unlike Marius and Sulla, when Caesar entered Rome, he observed no prescriptions. No. Caesar let his wartime enemies, men who opposed him openly, live. Mm-hmm. He very publicly forgave Brutus and Cicero when they came to him. Yes. Caesar, which HBO's Rome got that completely right. Right, that was completely accurate. Caesar even wanted to forgive Pompey and reunite with his old friend and former son-in-law. Well, and can we go ahead and finish because I'd like to talk, I'd like to talk about that in a little bit because there okay. is there is there is some controversy about that too, but I finish it off first. Pompey had fled to Egypt hoping to receive amnesty. When Pompey arrived at Egypt, he was at first concerned to see no large crowd or major envoys, but was relieved when he saw one of his veteran officers, Lucius Septimius, had come to greet him. Mm -hmm. Septimius then stabbed Pompey in the back before decapitating his former commander. Pompey had been the most celebrated man in in the Roman Republic. No one in the Republic did not know his face or his victories. Yet he died in a humiliating manner in the back end of Egypt. Unfortunately for the general, he had arrived in Egypt in the midst of their own civil war. Yes. Irony of ironies. Bad timing. Yep. It honestly chalked up to that. Not wanting chalk it up to like bad luck, really bad luck. Well, yeah. The last months and of of Pompey is just pretty much nothing but bad luck. Yeah. Not wanting to earn the enmity of Rome, King Ptolemy the Thirteenth ordered the execution of Pompey. Because mm. he was dealing with his own civil war at right. the time. Against he didn't the, need to make a very familiar figure. Yes, we're going to get into it. Caesar was not at all pleased to see the head of his friend Pompey and immediately demanded Septimius's head. Now, he also ordered a, pu- a public mourning for Pompey. And with that, with that in mind, I, I'd like to bring up a little bit, and I think we've talked about this before, but a slight controversy of what was Caesar's reaction to Pompey's death. Look. Was it? Yeah. Okay, no, you you go on. You were actually on the better. Like, was so, it? What? So, there, there's two schools of thought. There's two schools of thought, and they're both pretty radical. The first school of thought is Caesar wept because he genuinely was sorry for this man who was his friend, and and wanted him alive, a because he would he would have been able to forgive his friend. The other school of thought is that Caesar wept not out of loss of a friend, but because he could no longer prove his superiority in public to Pompey. He could not have humbled 
bumpy. I'm personally, I'm personally in the, I'm personally in the first where I believe, I believe Caesar was genuinely crushed by the death of his friend, his former friend and colleague. Same. Also, I will say, I, I believe like he just like was genuinely, he liked Pompey a lot. Right. And he had no personal animosity toward Pompey. And I think uh, what, what we said earlier, he kind of could see through the lines and say like, oh, they're using him. Right. They're using him. And he just like doesn't have like the, the kind of like personal strength or will. And he just like mm-hmm. wants to be loved enough where he's just like, you love me? You still think I'm relevant and awesome? Yes, we do. Okay. I'll fight for you guys. Right. And he, so he, he, he liked Pompey. Right. I think. Well, and that's the I, one, I think he was just like, one. and, but I think the other thing, maybe, and this is my own conjecture here, buddy. I think it was also a little bit sadness of just like the way that Pompey went out. That also that infuriated him was like, yes, no way. No, 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 no. Pompey the Great. He can't. He shouldn't have died that way. Right. In the back end of Egypt being killed by one of his former officers. Right. That is like, no, like Pompey should not die like that. It's like he, he deserves he deserves better than this. So much better than than what he got. It's yeah, gonna become a theme that, we're gonna talk out talk at the at the end near the end of this episode. By the way. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing too is that I mean this is something again we praise it a lot. HBO I think got very right where uh, Ptolemy is mocking Pompey's head and Caesar one of his very rare outbursts actually yeah. screams at Ptolemy saying that he was a consul of Rome. Yeah. He did not deserve to go out this way. I mean, that, I think, really did capture what Caesar's thoughts. It's like, it's yeah. like but, you were, but you were enemies. He was a consul of Rome. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it's like, you do not mock. It's like, for all he was, and, and, and that's just it, too, is that even if Caesar hated Pompey. This was a consul. So, this was a president. This a was a great th- th- this was a great man. This man had right. conquered Spain. This man had defeated the Sicilian pirates like that. Oh no. 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 That's not the way he should have died. Right. Should have just died comfortably in retirement exactly. in a gilded cage that would have given him yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Caesar, as you pointed, was not at all happy to see the he- head of what Ptolemy had done, and almost immediately allied with Ptolemy's rival for the throne, his sister Cleopatra the Seventh. Mm-hmm. While Cleopatra was a beautiful woman, she attracted men with her charm and wit, and her wealth. Eh, yeah, okay, maybe a little bit. Let's, let's, be, let's be honest here. Egypt had money. Yeah, that too. Cleopatra spoke many languages and had a keen mind for politics. Mm-hmm. Caesar was charmed enough with the woman, and the two had a son, Caesar's only natural son, who was named Caesarian, or Little Caesar. Mm-hmm. Caesarian's existence would soon prove inconvenient for Octavian. Yes, remember, remember him. Yes. 
When Caesar returned to Rome, he was elected dictator for Rome, dictator of Rome for 10 years. Right. He quickly had to deal with conservative rebels led by Metellus Scipio and Cato. Mm-hmm. Unsurprisingly, Caesar would prove victorious. Cato mm-hmm. committed committed suicide at his defeat, to which Caesar fittingly responded, I begrudge you your death, Cato, as you would begrudge me letting you live. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but Cato's kind of one of those good riddance. <laughs> Caesar had taken an interest in Octavian during this time and invited the boy to accompany him, but Octavian was too sick to attend. That'll become, a, that'll become somewhat of a running gag throughout his life. Yes. And now we're coming back to Octavian. Yes, the star of this series is going to start becoming more of the main character of this podcast. Don't worry. Very good. Octavian would get his chance to see his heroic uncle in war soon, as a rebellion in Spain was led by one of Pompey's sons. Octavian's ship crashed on the journey to Spain, and he was forced to travel through the wild on foot to meet with his uncle. (laughs) Caesar again was victorious in, in battle. Octavian arrived with the battle already concluded. Hmm. Caesar and Octavian spent a great deal of time talking to each other on their journey back to to Italy. Hmm. The young boy must have left a great impression on the dictator, for Caesar changed his will to make Octavian his lawful son and heir at Caesar's death. That. I must state, though, this is me being a bit revisionist historian myself. Fair enough. Is it's only a great surprise to us now because okay. Caesar was murdered long before he could have cultivated Octavian status and credibility as an heir. Yes. Caesar did not expect to die. No. At least like for another, you know, 20 years. Right. He's, he, he thought he'd have a lot longer career in power. So he would have probably have cultivated, as we're going to eventually get to, when, Octa- when Octavian slash Augustus eventually dies, he had cultivated Tiberius enough to where no one was like questioning, like, yeah, it's going to be Tiberius. It's Tiberius. Yes. It would have been like that situation right. had Caesar not been murdered. <sighs> so... Also, in the great questions of history, I'm just going to say it right now. Did Caesar see how great his nephew would could could be? No. No, no way. No. But the bold man, gambler Julius Caesar proved to be backing the right horse. Yeah. It was a shot in the dark. It, well, not a shot in the dark, but well, he, proved, bet, he bet on the be, right person. It proved to be a very worthy investment. Yeah. It really was. Caesar would celebrate a triumph and had Octavian as his right-hand accompaniment on his chariot, a position reserved for the general's heir. Ah. Caesar had – that's going to be later – important later for some – for when we repeat this story later on. Keep Mm -hmm. that in mind. Caesar had Octavian elected to the College Mm -hmm. of Pontiffs before eventually sending Octavian to train with raw recruits for his planned campaign in Parthia. Caesar's dictatorship proved to be a mixed experience. Yes. To Caesar's eternal credit, he tried to curb political corruption and exploitation in the provinces, built temples and roads, 
and offered food and work for the Roman people. He also brought in uh, many different uh, aristocrats from outside of Italy to serve, yes. to serve mm -hmm. as senators. Now, a cynical man would see this as a, as a, as a power grab. A perhaps more enlightened man would see this as necessary for the growth of the empire. Can it be both? Yes. Um, to be yes. At the same time, though, Caesar was a military dictator, and he lacked a tact. The cynical Senate routinely accused the dictator of wanting to become king. To become a literal king would be impossible, as the Romans prided themselves of having abolished kings. Right. Caesar tried to quell the rumors by having Antony present the dictator with a crown during a holiday festival. The crowd mm -hmm. grew silent when Caesar took the crown, but then rousingly applauded when Caesar denied it. The gesture mm -hmm. was repeated two more times with the same results. The event was obviously staged, and it did nothing to alleviate the suspicions of the Senate. Right. They had come to be disturbed that Caesar did not object to temples being built in the provinces to worship Caesar as a god. Mm-hmm. Worse was when Caesar refused to stand up when the senators entered, as though Caesar was above the supposedly equal senators. Hmm. Caesar claimed he was sick on that horrid day, but sometimes truth is irrelevant to what people choose to remember. Yeah. Even though Caesar did attempt to defend himself numerous times, he did not object to being elected dictator for life. Right. All, all and, of which... But... And, and all of this, by the way, all this dictatorial power, I'd like to point out, Caesar technically, technically never actually asked for it. The Senate just kind of gave it to him. Yeah, okay. When you got an army around Rome, that's not exactly... Right. Oh, oh we're, we're going to get to this when we cover later on with Augustus, but it's like, <gasps> What? You want me to keep the power? What? Right. But I don't want it. Oh, it's I don't want it. Yeah. Again, uh, uh, purely on the facts, technically Caesar never actually asked for this. But you're right. It's like, uh, think about that for a moment. Asked? It's like, what ask? Anyways, right. so, and what you were alluding to earlier. Dictator was a temporary position. Right. It was an emergency position held when Rome was in a state of catastrophe. Even Sulla, who was elected dictator for life, relinquished his power. And he relinquished his power within a year and a half of being dictator for life. Right. But though Caesar attempted to be friendly and unkingly, he did not pretend that he wanted to relinquish his power. Right. He was like, I'm no, not, I, yeah, I'm not king, so I'm just going to act like king. Yeah, he was effectively king in all but name. Right. We're going to cover how Augustus avoided the pitfalls of his uncle. Agreed. Caesar was becoming exhausted by the demands of managing the Republic and with the squabbling of the Senate. He longed for his days of glory, so he set plans to conquer Parthia. It was bold. Yeah. Rome, had, 
Rome had faced tribal enemies for nearly a century, but facing a civilization as organized and as well-funded as Parthia was risky. But Caesar was always one to take chances. Caesar had received ominous portents from soothsayers, saying that he would be in grave danger throughout March. His wife Calpurnia also had visions warning Caesar of danger. But Caesar was not afraid of danger. He had always triumphed against the worst of odds. He did not shirk away when one million Gauls faced off against his forces, despite the Gauls outnumbering the Romans twelve to one. What did Caesar have to fear in a city of pompous aristocrats? Was he not the greatest man since Alexander? With only two days away from his Parthian expedition, Caesar humid the Senate with one final session. There, Caesar was brutally stabbed 27 times by a group of passionately conservative senators. If the conservatives could not defeat Caesar in battle, they would kill him in in the Senate House, as they had done to the last king of Rome. Actually, they really killed him at Pompeii Theater. And one of the last things Julius Caesar ever saw was a statue of Pompeii. Before he... Karma? Call it karma? Call it... I don't know. It It is undeniably poetic. Yes. And yes, if you're wondering, Shakespeare definitely exploited it. Oh, yes. In his play. Now, now, did he say, et tu brute? No. He said, and you my child. And then covered his face with his toga. Well, you took the wind that I sales. I was kind of set up a little bit, but that's perfect. That's why we're co- co-hosts. Mm-hmm. I just want to add the, 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 the two notes of this. Among Caesar's assassins, the most surprising was Decimus Brutus, a man mm-hmm. who had campaigned with Caesar in Gaul and had dined with Caesar the previous night. Caesar never saw it coming. No. Never. It was like Decimus. There, like, there, Decimus? There is some very real heartbreak to that. Let's be honest. To be betrayed by someone who you had dinner with them the night before. That had been with you through Gaul. All of that. And he still was willing to kill him. Yeah. More personally devastating to the dictator was Marcus Junius Brutus, the son of Caesar's favorite mistress, Servilia. Brutus gave the final blow. Caesar, Pompey, and Crassus had ruled Rome in secret, yet they would all die violent and humiliating deaths. Sad. Yeah. Now, we could end the podcast there. But I want to go just a little bit further for the other part of the story that's really important. Right. Now, something we got to understand that you, everyone needs to understand. We all know what Caesar's fate was. But the biggest misleading thing of history is, is, the, era, uh, is the feeling of inevitability. Yes. History only seems obvious because of the fact that we are so inundated with it. Right. History, even something as horrific and completely unexpected as an assassination, just seems, quote-unquote, obvious in history textbooks because it comes with the air of hindsight. 
Right. The truth of the matter was, is that this situation for everybody, and this is one of the biggest problems with it, with this era, nobody knew what was going to happen. Yes. And it was and one of the biggest, I'd like to add on to that, one of the biggest, I might even steal this from you by accident, one of the biggest misconceptions about the, the transformation from the Republic to the Empire was that it was instantaneous. Oh, it yeah. Was, it wasn't. You've got 20 years, almost two decades. You've got 20 years, three mm. civil wars, <laughs> three civil wars, and players who very much had the chance to take power, but didn't or couldn't. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's a wonderful thing to add. And, and yes, I 100% agree. I want to also just contextualize. And again, we're going to turn to our, our American history to give you a good metaphor. Mm -hmm. Of just imagine you were at work when you heard that President Kennedy was had been shot. Yeah. Would you have the hindsight to say it was obvious that a deranged lunatic might try to attack Kennedy in a public space? Probably not. No, it's just like, would you say, oh, well, there were all these signs that was going to happen? No. no. It was it just wasn't. this jaw-dropping, like, no one at the time saw it coming. Everyone was astonished. And everyone, unlike unlike our own history and our own government, there was nothing set up in place for this, for right. the great big question that was a song in Hamilton, what comes next? Well, seriously, no one, and that that has been criticized, an interesting part of the conspiracy, for all their, for all their supposed noble intentions, they really didn't have a clue of what was going to happen next. Now, in all fairness, they were in uncharted territory. And we say this all because I want to put this in you, everyone's mind right now, is with all this confusion, with all this shock, would anyone in their right mind imagine that a 19-year-old boy that no one had ever heard of would in 12 years become the ruler of the greatest empire of the known world. Who would have saw but that no coming? No one would have. Who would have said that, oh, this was inevitable, this was going to happen? Like, no, this wasn't. This was luck, skill, bad timing, good timing. And, and a miraculous series of events of what's going on. So no one, no one knew what, no one knew what to do. No one knew what was going on. And everyone, the problem, and, and this is the, the amazing thing is, this is what happens when you have a great charismatic figure like Caesar, and they just disappear. Is now it's like, oh, what to do? It's like, what's going on? Who's the Who's going to take over? What, what about his army, his money, his estates, all of this? What, what do we do? What do we do? That, 
and, and unfortunately, that doesn't that that can't really happen in America today because we have succession rules in place. But I mean, well, no, thankfully we have succession rules, dude. Right. Thankfully. So we don't have to. And right, and it's exactly because of the, those reasons that Rome Rome didn't know what was going to happen, and it was unfortunately when people don't know what's going to happen, they get scared. Mm-hmm. I think actually that might be our perfect end point mm-hmm. is confusion, shock, and we've just set it up. How is this 19-year-old boy right. going to s- suddenly become... The war. Tune in next to find out how. Tune in next time.